There was a lady who had to do a lot of traveling with her business, and so naturally she flew um, a lot on airplanes. The problem was that flying made her really, really nervous, and so to cope with her anxiety, she would take her Bible along and just read Bible stories. Well, one time she's on a flight, she's got her Bible open, and the guy next to her looks over and kind of chuckles, and then after a few minutes he says, lady, do you really believe all the stuff in that book? And she says, well, I do, because it's the Bible. And he says, really? He says, well, what about that story about the guy that got swallowed by the whale? Um, do you believe that story? She goes, oh yeah, I believe that story. It's right here in the Bible. He says, well, how do you suppose that that guy lived all those days inside that whale? She said, well, yeah, I really don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And then he said sarcastically, well, what if he's not in heaven? And she looked over and said, well, then you can ask him. This morning, we're beginning a new series of messages called Stories of Hope. And I want to show you the verse that this series really comes from. It's Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and it says this. For everything that was written in the past, and this is a reference to these Old Testament stories, everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? Hope. Now, there's three words underlined in that verse because there are three things that we need every single day of our lives. The first is endurance. When life is hard, you need the endurance to keep on going, to press through the problems. And another thing we all need is encouragement. Somebody said one time that there are holes in our hearts and the courage leaks out. And so every day we need God to pour fresh encouragement into us so that we can accomplish his purpose in this world. And then the third thing we need is hope. This, this confident expectation that God is going to do exactly what he's promised. And that's what these stories are designed to give us. Endurance, encouragement, and hope. And so today we're going to look at one of these stories, the story of Jonah. And this is how the story begins. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. 
The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. That's an amazing story, isn't it? You think about it, there's a perfect storm, there's this runaway preacher, there's this enormous fish, but the most important thing about the story is simply this, how much God loves people. Because the fact is, God loves everybody in this story. He loves Jonah. He loves the sailors in the boat. He loves the people that he sent Jonah to preach to. And so this morning, as we consider this story about God's love, there are two things that I want to accomplish. And the first is this, to help us really better understand and better appreciate how much God really loves us. And secondly, to help us understand how much God wants us to love other people the people he's placed in our lives, especially those who may be hard to love. So, let's begin by taking a look at Jonah. Who is this runaway prophet? Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings, we read that Jonah is a servant of the Lord. He's a prophet, and a prophet was somebody who would speak for God. Now, his name, Jonah, means dove, and that signifies a person who is sent with a message. He's a messenger, and then you look at his, his other name, um, Amittai, this is a family name, it means truth. Son of Amittai, son of truth. So Jonah is God's messenger of truth, and what is his mission? What is God calling him to do? Well, we see that in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was, in all probability, the largest city in the world at the time of Jonah. It was the capital of Assyria, which was the most powerful empire on earth. Now, the brutality of the Assyrian soldiers was known throughout the Mediterranean world. And this is what happened. If, if a city was under siege, if they knew that the Assyrian soldiers were going to attack, often the entire city would commit suicide. They would take their lives rather than fall into the hands of these brutal Assyrian soldiers. And when God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, he just flat out refuses. Look at this next verse. It says this, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. Now this is an interesting phrase and we'll talk about it in just a moment. After paying the fare, after buying his ticket, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's what's going on. God tells Jonah to go about 500 miles to the east to go to Nineveh. What Jonah does is go about 2,000 miles to the west to the very edge of the Mediterranean world. And the question is, well, why does he disobey God? And I think there are two reasons. One's pretty obvious. He's scared to death. I mean, who in their right mind is going to go to Nineveh? 
These people are killers. They are brutal. They're, they're worse than an MS-13 gang. But there's an even more compelling reason that Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. And it's simply this. He hates the people who live there. And he knows that, th- that if he takes a message to them, that there's a chance, it could be a small chance, but there's a chance that they will repent and escape God's judgment. There's also a good possibility that Jonah's hatred of the Assyrians is personal because history records that Assyria had attacked some towns in Israel and it's possible that Jonah's hometown had been attacked. And so his own family may have been brutalized by the Assyrians. So he flat out doesn't want to go and that's why he ran in the opposite direction. You see, sending Jonah to Nineveh would be sort of like asking a Jewish person in New York City during World War II to go to Germany and to take a message to Hitler and the SS troops to tell them, hey, listen, um, I know you've murdered millions of people, but God loves you, and if you just repent, everything will be okay. Now, you wouldn't be surprised if that Jewish person said, you know what, I'm not going to Germany. I'm going to go to San Francisco and catch a boat to Antarctica. And this is what's going on here. There's no way that Jonah is going to go to Nineveh. But here's a remarkable thing. Even though he runs away, God runs after him. Now look at this verse. This was written by King David from Psalm 23. It says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. Pursue me. How long? All the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like running away? Running away from a responsibility. It could be something at work, something at home. Have you ever felt like running away from a relationship? You were just done. The conflict, the hurt was too deep. There's no way to repair this relationship, so I'm just running in the other direction. Have you ever had a problem that you just wanted to run away from? Remember reading a caption in a Peanuts cartoon strip where Charlie Brown says this, there is no problem so big that I can't run away from it. That's what we often do. We often decide, instead of going God's way, that we're going to go our way. And that brings us to this first statement on your outline. It says this, God's love pursues people who go their own way. God's love pursues people who go their own way. There are times in life when, like Jonah, we know exactly what God wants us to do. It says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And in the same way, so often, the word of the Lord comes to us in this book we call the Bible. And yet, instead of going God's way, we decide to go our own way. For example, God says, forgive that person who hurt you. And we say, I don't want to. God says, enjoy sex within the bounds of marriage. And we say, I don't have to. God says, lead your family spiritually. And we say, I don't have time to. Jonah decided to go his own way. He, he tried to run from God, but he discovered a very important truth. And it's the title of today's message. You can run, but you cannot hide. And this is really interesting because in the pages of Scripture, we see people who try this, people who run from God and hide from God. Think about Adam and Eve. What do they do when they disobey God? Exactly. They tried to hide. They tried to hide from God. They ran from God. There was a a young man that God called to be a pastor. And this young man said, I don't want to be a pastor. You can't make me be a pastor. I'm running in the opposite direction. And this is a story that I know really well because it's my story. And God sent a storm with my name on it 
to bring me to himself. Now, why does God do that? And the answer is this, because of his unfailing love. Do you know somebody this morning who's running from God? Somebody in your family, somebody at work, that person that just doesn't want to hear a word about your faith? There are people who don't go to church anymore because they're running from God. There are people in churches all over this country who are still running from God. Now, here's what's really fascinating. It says that when Jonah ran from God, he paid for his ticket. It says when he got on board, he paid the fare. And the reality is this. When you run from God, you will pay the price. It will cost you. You see, you, you surrender God's peace when you run from him. You surrender his purpose. You surrender his power in your life. But here's the flip side. When you actually run to God, when you run in the path of his commands, King David says that in Psalm 119. It brings me great joy to run in the path of, of your commands. When you do that, God always picks up the tab. Because God has promised, if you will follow me, I will provide everything necessary to accomplish my purpose for your life. And here's something else that we need to know about God's love. Here's how the story continues. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that it, the ship threatened to break up. Now, if you're a parent this morning, and you tell your child, I want you to go this way, and your child says, no, I'm going that way, I'm going my way, how do you deal with that disobedience? And I'm thinking of a word that starts with the letter D. How do you deal with that disobedience? It's not denial. It's not my kid. <laughs> I don't know who his parents are. My kids would never do that. The word I'm thinking of is discipline. Discipline. Discipline is corrective action to help our kids get back on the right path, the path that leads to obedience. Now, if you're a parent, why do you discipline your kids? Okay, exactly. Because you love them. Why does God take corrective action in the lives of his children? What do you think? Because he loves us. And that's what the scripture reminds us of. This is a great verse in Hebrews that says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he hates. What does it say? He disciplines those he, you can say it, those he loves. Because this story is about God's incredible love. And look at this next point in your outline. It's simply this, that God's love disciplines people who go their own way. God disciplines us because he loves us. See, going your own way rather than God's way involves a choice. And why is it that moms and dads are so concerned about the choices their children make? Because choices have what? Starts with the same letter. What do choices have? Consequences. Good choices have what kind of consequences? Good consequences. Bad choices have bad consequences. Now, here's what's so striking in this story. The choices that Jonah makes don't just affect Jonah, do they? I mean, think about it. He makes a really bad choice. He decides, I'm running from God. So he gets on the ship and God sends a storm and the storm Storm is about to break this ship up and send it to the bottom of the sea. Does Jonah's choice affect anybody else? Of course, everybody who's in the same boat. Now here's the, here's the principle from the story, one principle. Be careful 
who you let in your boat. And the flip side is this, be careful whose boat you get into because the choices that you make affect other people. And guess what? The choices other people make affect you. If you're a, a student, teenager, sometimes you have to choose if you're going to get in the car with somebody, right? And that's an important choice because the choice the driver makes doesn't just affect the driver, does it? It affects you. I have been on many rescue scenes as a firefighter and paramedic where drivers, teenage drivers, made bad choices. And those bad choices affect everybody in the car. And what about this? What about marriage? That's a big boat, right? Inviting somebody into your life? You want to be my soulmate? Be careful who you invite into your boat. Be careful whose boat you get into. Because what does the scripture say? It says, if you're a follower of Jesus, be careful. Just get into the boat when it comes to marriage with another person who's a follower of Jesus because you need to have a common foundation for your life. And yet again and again, I see people who are Christians say, you know what, God? I know that's what it says in the book, but I'm going to go my own way and hope for the best. And realize this about the choices that you make, that the consequences of your choices may not be immediate, but they are inevitable. Did you catch that? The consequences of our choices are not always immediate, but they are inevitable. Think about Jonah. He decides, hey, I'm, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going the other way. So he goes and he buys a ticket. They had a ticket for him. There's space on the boat. The weather's clear. That happens with us sometimes. We decide to run away from God, and initially it looks like it's going to work out. It's okay. The weather's clear. We got a ticket. We're going our way. But you know the rest of the story because the storm comes. And God warns us in the Bible. He says, listen, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For what a person sows, that shall they also reap. And there's another, there's another encouraging principle in this book, and it's simply this, that even though we may make bad decisions, how many of you have ever made a bad decision? Okay, we all have. I mean, we'll just, we'll just leave it there, Okay. We've all done things that we know we shouldn't do. We've made decisions that take us away from God rather than toward God. But here's the reality. God can redeem those bad choices. Because think about the story. Jonah makes this really bad choice to run from God, and there is a storm that's so intense that it's going to break the ship apart. The fury of the storm becomes the very thing that saves the lives of these sailors. Because you know what happens? They decide to cry out to God. And God saves them. And that happens in our lives. Our God is sovereign. God can take our bad choices and use them to accomplish something good, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. So quick review. God's love pursues people who go their own way. God's love disciplines people who go their own way. And here is the third thing this morning. God's love rescues people who go their own way. Look at this verse. It says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Just when Jonah's situation looks hopeless, when he's just falling to the bottom of the ocean, what does God do? God rescues him. Why does God rescue Jonah? Well, because he loves Jonah. Jonah matters to him. And church, realize this, that you matter to God. And that God desires to rescue you with his 
love. Here's a verse from the Psalms that says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. You know, this is really what we do on Sunday mornings. We get together and we rejoice because we've been rescued by God. Isn't that true? And yet this morning, there are people in my life that I care deeply about who still need to be rescued. I have people that I care deeply about and a storm has come into their life and it's almost like they've been thrown overboard and they are drowning. And the question is, what do you do? Well, here's what we do. We pray. We pray to the God who has a mighty hand and the very thing that seems to swallow people up can be used by God to save them. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about this story and how God might have preserved Jonah's life. In fact, Bible scholars are divided into two groups. There's a group that thinks that Jonah died and came back to life. There's another group that believed that he never died. He just was alive the whole time. And we know that in that part of the world, there are two um, animals, if you will, marine monsters that were capable of swallowing a man whole. One is called the sulfur bottom whale. It's also called the blue whale. Now, the blue whale is the largest animal on the face of the earth. In fact, here's a picture uh, showing you the relative size of a blue whale. The blue whale's at the top, and then you see the elephant and the dinosaurs, and at the very, very bottom, the right-hand corner, what is that? Can you tell? Yeah, that's a person. So you can see there's plenty of room inside the whale for a person. And in fact, back in 1933, this is a really fascinating story, there was an incident that took place off um, the coast of, was it Cape Cod? where a guy was swallowed by a sulfur bottom whale. And they didn't see him for two days. 48 hours later, they captured the whale. They cut the whale open, and guess what? This guy named James Bartlett was still alive. He was unconscious, but his heart was beating, he was breathing, and he made a full recovery. And there was another incident involving another sea creature. This is a, um, a whale shark. And you can see the diver there. Whale sharks are incredibly large. And, and by the way, the sulfur bottom whale and the whale shark neither have teeth, which is really good. They're going to swallow you. But this was another incident where a guy was, um, this was near the Falkland Islands. Um, he was swallowed by a whale shark, and they found him two days later. They cut the whale open. He was alive. Made a complete recovery. And in fact, the doctor that examined him made notations about his appearance and said that he lost all the hair on his body and he had these really ugly yellow-brown patches all over him. Now, can you imagine Jonah walking into town, this preacher? I mean, that would have gotten your attention, a guy looking like that. But here's the thing. If, if these two guys, these, these accounts of, of men living for two days in a well are true, and obviously they are, not much of a stretch to think that God could keep Jonah alive for even one more day, is it? And here's what I think is really compelling when it comes to should we believe the story of Jonah? Well, Jesus believed it. He believed that it was true. In fact, the religious leaders came to Jesus one time and said, hey, Jesus, give us a sign and we'll follow you. Show us a miracle. We'll believe you. So how does Jesus respond? He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is a reference to his death, burial, and resurrection. And notice this. This is a 
compelling statement by Jesus. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. You see, at the end of history, at the end of time, there is going to be a day when we stand before God and give an account of our lives. And Jesus is saying, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and this generation, with this generation, and condemn it. And here's why. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus is doing more than just giving these religious leaders a history lesson. He's calling them to change their lives, to repent and believe the good news. And Jesus says, look, when Jonah preached, the people of Nineveh repented. They said, we're not going to go our way anymore. We're going God's way. And Jesus is saying, and now one greater than Jonah is standing right in front of you. So what are you going to do about it? And church, that is essentially the message of Jesus today. He tells us that we need to repent and believe the good news. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? One of the things that's really fascinating is that Orthodox Jews read this story of Jonah on a special day during the year. It's called Yom Kippur. How many of you are familiar with that term? Um, it's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this day in the history of Israel was incredibly important. It was a really, really big deal because it only came once a year. And on that day, there were these elaborate rituals that the high priest would go through. And the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people. Now, of course, that pointed to the day that Jesus would come as the final sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people. And what's really intriguing is this story of Jonah really is a foreshadowing of Jesus and his mission and what he's going to experience. Because think about it. Like Jonah, like the Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, we've gone our own way. Isn't that true? And our sin, our disobedience separates us from God. And not only that, God is just and has to punish our disobedience. What was the message that, that Jonah had for Nineveh? Hey, 40 days and God's going to crush you. You're going to be annihilated, wiped off the face of the earth. That's some pretty bad news, isn't it? Jonah also held out hope. But if you repent, if you turn to God, he will spare you. And that is the news of the gospel. That because God loves you, more than you can even imagine, he sends his son Jesus to this world and Jesus becomes one of us. It is the greatest rescue story in the history of humanity. And Jesus lives a perfect life. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And I was thinking about it this week, that there are these striking parallels between the life of Jonah and the life of Jesus. Think about it. Jonah faces the judgment of God in this incredible storm. On the cross... Jesus faces the judgment of God too. And then in the story of Jonah, he's, he's picked up, he's thrown overboard, he's completely abandoned. What happens to Jesus on the cross? He is completely abandoned. And that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just like Jonah was, was rescued from certain death by the hand of God, Jesus is raised from the dead because of the hand of his father. Friends, Jesus calls us to an entirely different kind of life. He calls us to faith and repentance.
And repentance really means changing your mind, seeing things from God's point of view. It's, it's this idea that I'm walking away from God and then I turn around and I walk to God. Instead of going my way, I choose to go God's way. And so here's the last question. Take a look at your outline. In what area of my life do I need to stop going my way and instead choose to go God's way? And here's why that question is so important and so practical. Every day that we live, we come to this intersection throughout the day, this crossroads, and it's like there's two signs. One points my way, one points God's way. And as we make choices, as we make decisions, we have to decide, am I going to do this my way or God's way? When it comes to money, am I going to handle my money my way or God's way? When it comes to sex, am I going to do it my way or God's way? When it comes to to people that have really wounded me and hurt me, am I going to treat them God's way or my way? And I'll tell you this. One day when I'm standing before God, giving an account of my life, I'm hoping I'm not standing next to Frank Sinatra when he sings, I did it my way. One final thought, church, is simply this. The Bible compares our life to a race. And if you want to run well, there are three things you need. Endurance, encouragement, and hope. That's exactly what these stories are designed to give us. And so listen today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you know, maybe you've been around church, in church, but you've never said, I'm going to give my life to you, Jesus. I want to encourage you to do this today. Run to God. Run to Jesus. Trust him. Follow him. And listen, if you're a Christian this morning, a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to do this. Run to God over and over again because in order to experience this life that Jesus promises us, this is what all of us need to do. We need to run to God. We need to run with God. And we need to run for God. You think about that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you, God, that you wanted to give us endurance, encouragement, and hope. And Father, I pray that it will do exactly that. Lord, this morning as we ask ourselves that question, you know, where am I going my way and not God's way? Lord, would you answer that for us? Would you put your finger on the places in our heart where we're being selfish or prideful or where we're just not listening to you. And God, for the one who's never trusted Jesus, I just pray today, Lord, that you would rescue, rescue them with your great love. Lord, you've rescued so many of us because that's the God that you are. And I pray that you'll do it again and again, God. And Lord, as somebody here today is sensing that that you're speaking to them, I pray that they would just say this to you in their own way, in in their own heart. God, I need you. And I'm tired of running. Lord, it's, it's costing me a lot. And so I want to turn around. I want to run to you, not from you. So would you please forgive me? And, and God, I believe that Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. And I'm thankful that he offers me a new life because I sure need one. So Jesus says, best as I understand it, I want to decide today to follow you, to run with you, and to run for you. And God, I am so thankful because when we start running, you run to meet us every time. And Father, help us to remember today that because of your great love, 
You'll never let us go. There's nothing in this world that can ever separate us from your love. And Lord, that's what we want to celebrate now as we stand and sing together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.